listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Charles Grantham represented or advised NBA players, including Charles Oakley, Amari Stoudemire, and Tobias Harris. He is currently the director of the Center for Sports Management at Seton Hall University Stillman School of Business, where he was an adjunct professor from 2004 to 2015, teaching a graduate course entitled Negotiation and Dispute Resolution in Professional and Amateur Sports. Boy, is he perfect for the discussion tonight. <laughs> He's also served as senior fellow with the Wharton's business, uh, sports business initiative at the University of Pennsylvania. I also mentioned that he was the former, uh, president of the NBA Players Association. I would go on, but we'd have no time to talk to him on the interview. So let's welcome in Charles Grantham to ESPN New York tonight. Hey, Charlie. Larry, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been a long time, my friend. It has too long. It really has. Charlie, before we get started, uh, I'd be remiss if I did, if I did not get your, your thoughts on where we are and with, uh, the situation with George Floyd and how athletes have responded in various ways. Well, first of all, it's, um, you know, to have this happen, uh, particularly at this time, uh, with the pandemic and everything else that we're experiencing at this time in our country. Uh, you know, I, I attended the march on Washington in 1963 with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and the composition of that march was probably 85, 80% black. And I think what's so encouraging about seeing the marches today is that they're well integrated and represents a force now of people who would like to see not just attitudes changed, but action taken. And I'm very, very pleased to see, I was commending Tobias for, for, for marching in Philadelphia. So it's something that I think all of our young players in football, basketball, throughout all of the professional and college sports, um, uh, should be involved in, and they should understand from where it comes and why it's so important that they participate and use their platform to initiate some change that I think we need here. Charlie, let's let's start with baseball. Uh, I was watching you, as I always do, watch you on you spread your education on various forums and various folks in the media. And you have what I thought was an interesting proposal, an interesting option that could bring the owners and players back to the field instead of arguing, looking like millionaires and billionaires that can't get along together. Why don't you share that with my audience? Yeah, you see, this is a different time, you know, and I sort of go back to the beginning of a uh, time when the NBA was not so fantastic and when the, the business itself was suffering. And I've always felt that the responsibility of leadership of both the players and those who own teams, i.e. the commissioner, that their primary responsibility uh, is to uh, be able to see these oncoming forces, however they may arrive, uh, particularly those who are going to negatively impact your business, and and decide together that this is something we have to work together to make happen. And it worked way back in the 80s and 90s, and you know, obviously the NBA has done very well. But now with the pandemic, it's really and the, uh, the protests at a time that we're all sort of in a, a period of uncertainty is 
creating these these outside forces are now starting to look that way with regard to all our professional and college sports as how they may affect revenue going forward. And that is something that affects both sides. And it's that thing that has to call them to sit at a round table instead of across the table and start thinking about how do we propose, what do we propose? And what I was so taken by in baseball is that the owners could not resist that temptation to the, try to take it all because it's on the table, meaning that they're losing money, so therefore let's take it back from the players. Instead of sitting down and saying, look, how do we work this out? Owners of teams will be able to take a loss over time because they own teams for 15, 20, 25 years. And their partners, which are usually the broadcast partners and other sponsors, will be with them for long periods of time. So what it calls for now, given where we are now, it calls for us to sit down and think about players as partners here and not just assets. And therefore, talking to them about how do we share this going forward? How do we share this going forward? So instead of initiating a conversation to say, you've got to take a pay cut today, perhaps we talk about deferring some of this income and figuring out how the way that we can work together to bring the sport to life now and defer some of these losses that both of us will receive over time. And, um, and initially, obviously, the biggest concern right now is whether or not we can even play at all, whether there will be games. And if there are, they will be without fans. So immediately you're looking at somewhere between 35 to 45% loss, financial loss without fans and probably without some sponsors. Um, so if we start there, then perhaps everybody's invested in the future of baseball or basketball or football or hockey, because guess what? It may be happening with baseball now, but it's going to also happen in football. It's going to certainly happen in basketball after they finish the regular season and, and the playoffs. And then uh, what, what happens after that point, they already determined to extend the period by which they will discuss these terms and conditions as to what they will look like going forward. And it's the challenge here is whether or not they can be true partners. And in order to do that, you're going to have to open up your books. If you're asking now that players are going to take heavy losses because of the heavy losses that you have incurred, then one of the things you have to do is to sit down and see the books and records. Well, and Charlie, I don't you, know whether that's even being offered at this point. <laughs> probably not. And, and Charlie, you know, from being being on the on the other side of of the table, whether it's square or round, <laughs> you know that there is there has to be trust in negotiations. And throughout history with baseball, with players and and the union, uh, there's been no trust. The union doesn't trust the the owners that they will show the books, and so that's a big part of this situation. So if there is no trust, Charlie, I don't see where they go because if if you're the union, the first thing you're thinking of, you know what? At some point in time, we're going to hear a word, a phrase that we just don't want to hear. Salary cap. Well, well it, starts, it starts with this idea that given the situation at this point, and it looks like perhaps baseball owners may have relaxed that demand, only because they know that the, the collective bargain agreement is going to expire in another year or two. 
So we can defer that conversation about salary cap until then. But for now, let's figure out how we can share this revenue going forward. But at the moment that you start talking about weight scales and percentage of, 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 of a scale, then what comes to mind from a player's perspective is that this is just other language for essentially a salary cap and other kind of wage restrictions. And it appears that uh, at this point anyway, that they perhaps backed off of the concept of a salary cap today, but, and perhaps we'll agree that salaries will be prorated based on the number of games to be played. And that seems to be the most uh, equitable way of approaching their problem at this point. My guest is Charles Grantham. He's the, among other things, former head of the NBA Players Association. Also right now is the um, uh, the director for the Center of Sports Management at Seton Hall University Stillman School of Business. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Charlie, let's talk a little basketball for a second. And let me come at you from this perspective. How would you face and deal with your representing your players in this situation, bringing them back, putting them in a shortened season, obviously trying to make sure the regional sports networks get their money. So they're trying to get up to at least 70 games, but understanding that we have a virus here, a pandemic balance the schedule in your, in your discussions with, you know, Adam Silver about bringing your players back, making sure that they have the best testing available and some concerns about, okay, what's going to be their physical condition, mental condition and coming back and playing after having been off for a long period of time, risking injury. Well, first of all, they do seem to be allowing science to determine the timing of, of which they began to play again. So we're already talking about the end of July. Personally, I think that may be even premature. That may be early. They may have to change that. And I think you're going to have to take a wait-and-see attitude going forward because at the same time, because of the reopening of some of these states, and particularly in Florida, we're starting to see cases increase again. Mm-hmm. So the amount of testing uh, and, and the ability to test and to confine people to the same spot, I think, is very important. But let's let's really be careful here because we are talking about a very dangerous disease. We're talking about the ability to spread very quickly. And to some degree, we'll get some idea as to how it's reacting to the protests themselves at this point, hmm. whether or not the cases will spike. Um, but so far, it appears that they're allowing science to determine the date at which they start. Now, they're planning for July. But in all fairness, it appears to me that the NBA has been looking at uh, or, or at least considering the prospect of changing the timing of their schedule and their season anyway. In other words, <clears throat> I think it was this fall uh, <clears throat> or late spring or so they had a, the analytic conference up at MIT, and I believe it was the president of the Atlanta Hawks who uh, looks at from a from a analytical perspective was thinking that the season would be best off starting in December and finishing in July because they'd prefer to to, to, to compete with with baseball and football. So theoretically and analytically, that makes sense. 
and if in fact they're able to follow through with starting the uh, uh, the end of the season and playoffs in July, then perhaps that would really actually come to fruition by starting the next season sometime in December or early January. But just getting back to to your question here, the biggest thing is the health of the players, and of course the assistant coaches who fit into a category that may be more vulnerable. So you're really looking at several obstacles here from a health standpoint, and I think that is priority number one. And from what I understand, from what I'm reading at least, that that is the measure by which they are gauging when, in fact, they will start the season. Um, However, the pandemic is also looking at the losses that are going to be incurred by, by basketball. So those same kinds of discussions that are happening with baseball at some point here are going to probably also surface in, in basketball. Uh, how much of the loss will you bear? And whether we will be able to have those same kind of conversations that I described earlier, I think it's more likely that they may have those conversations in basketball than they do in, in baseball and probably also in football coming down the pike in terms of starting their season. They're going to have to have these same kinds of discussions because everyone's looking at losing somewhere between 35 and 45% of their revenue just based on loss attendance. And that puts us all in a very awkward position, let alone we haven't even talked about college football Mm -hmm. and, and what's going to happen in college football and basketball. And is this the time? Is this the time that we start looking at protecting student-athletes in a better way? And does this give some idea as to what college athletes, particularly in football and basketball, what is their worth? Because they are the primary assets here. And as universities are looking to lose perhaps 4 to $5 billion in the football season, things all of a sudden look more like professional than amateur. <laughs> Boy, those are some questions, Charlie. Unfortunately, we have to talk about another time. We've run out of time. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Always good discussion when you're here. Always love learning and, and getting the idea of the, uh, the, as they always say, following the money of sports. Yeah. Well, listen, it was nice talking to you again. We hope to see each other when time permits. Sounds and good, thanks Charlie. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We'll talk soon, my friend. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.